Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Have you ever been in a totally pitch-black room where it seems as if there are things everywhere? Even when you know where everything is or where it was the last time you saw it, if the place is pitch black, everything feels different. In a pitch black room, you stretch out your arms because you expect to crash into a wall or a piece of furniture. Even in a familiar place, once the lights go out, you expect something to jump out and attack you. In other words, in the darkness, you expect to get hurt. There are times in life when you can expect to be in the darkness when you will not be able to see what is directly in front of you or what is over in the corner. In these times, you must rely on your instincts and your memory. You must also realize that you are not in control. God is. When you find yourself in the darkness of an unfamiliar experience, do not fight God for control. Do not grope, grab, or swat off imaginary demons. Rather than shielding yourself from the expectation of pain, surrender. Drop your hands to your side, take a long, deep breath, Concentrate on one thing that you know. Remember that God loves you and will protect you no matter where you are. Remember that what you can't see, God can. When you invoke the light of God to lead you and protect you, you will miraculously be able to see the way in or a new way out. It's here in the Archbishop's Corner where the darkness of the past, the unknown of the future, or the difficulty of the present are all put into perspective through the faith leadership of Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for meeting us in the Archbishop's Corner, where you help us affirm through faith the light of God's love residing in every life. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, well on our way in this Lenten season to affirming and revitalizing our faith through acts of penance and acts of charity, spiritual discipline during Lent. How are we doing? <laughs> well, Give me a grade. Person <laughs> every person has to ask themselves how they're doing. I think one of the problems of human nature, we all uh, say, oh, I'm going to start tomorrow. But, you know, Lent's only 40 days, and before you know it, it's half over. That's true. So we got to hang in there. Penance, a charity, and prayer. Those are the three pillars of Lent. To pray more, to find occasions for real charity to people, either financial or with the time and talent we have, and mortification, you know. Jesus fasted in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and that's because he was Jesus. We can't fast for 40 days and 40 nights, but we can fast for one day, or we can cut back on something, we can deny ourselves something. You know, that our, our wills, especially in the modern world, what we want, what we want when we want it. And we're so uh, even addicted to our little pleasures of uh, whether it's dessert or, or whatever. And there's something to be said about learning to say no to these things. So like they say, better to light a candle than curse the darkness. I would encourage all of our listeners to uh, redouble their efforts or start them if they haven't already. Uh, to do some uh, some of the, the pillars of, of Lent. Well, you know, when you mention prayer, the thought comes to me, what are we asking our people to pray for? 
Are we asking them to pray for themselves? Are we asking them to pray a prayer of gratitude to God for things accomplished in their lives, the blessings given? Are we asking them to pray for the world situations like the war in Ukraine or the various weather-related events that have taken place within our own country that have disturbed the everyday lives of ordinary people, big snowstorms out west and things like that. What are we asking people to pray for when we invite them to pray during Lent? Well, all of the above, but we're not just asking people to pray for. The spirituality of our faith is to pray. I mean, prayer is adoration and thanks as well as petition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, we all pray for things. But, you know, sometimes our Lord uh, likes to be told that we love him and that we trust him and we adore him. We don't always have to be asking for things. You know, I I just, and again, for anybody that can either go online or if you have a copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, look up the little section about prayer and see what it says. You might find it very enlightening or interesting or refreshing if you've forgotten from the days when you may have heard these things uh, in, in a kind of catechetical situation. But we, you know, we have to, to learn how to pray. And of course, the model of all prayer is, is the Our Father. And uh, we see all the, the various elements of it, it there. And if we meditate on that, we can certainly have a deeper appreciation of prayer or to Mary and the saints, the rosary. But of course, the rosary is also a meditation on the mysteries. So you're meditating on the, the sorrowful mysteries, particularly during Lent, which is very helpful. You know, another resource I meant to mention you know, I watched it uh, the other day, um, and I will continue to do so. Our Archdiocesan Communications Office, you know, uh, Father Matt Gorick uh, and Mr. David Elliott in in our uh, office, there's this series, Lent with the Lord, mm-hmm. that's available on Facebook and YouTube from the Archdiocese. I watched the session where you have um, uh, Father Gorick, Father Sullivan, Father Rominsky, and Father Lerner, some of our fine young priests having a discussion about Lenten themes uh, and, and uh, around a particular uh, uh, topic or presentation. And I think that's, that's a wonderful way to, uh, uh, to engage people. Or, you know, similarly, on uh, YouTube or Facebook from the Archdiocese, you have Father Raminsky, who's in, uh, responsible for uh, uh, liturgy in the Archdiocese, talking about the Eucharistic revival. I would hope that this year particularly Lent uh, – when people are looking for some theme or focus, that they would um, give some thought to this idea of reviving, renewing our Catholic faith in the Most Holy Eucharist and what that means. Of course, that inevitably involves Sunday Mass and receiving Holy Communion, and that involves receiving it worthily, which means we also go to confession from time to time. Another great Lenten uh, reality, we we once again this year have uh, uh, the Lenten uh, confessions being offered on Mondays, Uh, in parishes throughout the Archdiocese. Uh, And that, too, you can consult either your own parish bulletin or you can look on our uh, website. So all of these things, I'm giving you a very long answer, but uh, there's just so many things available if we take the time and make the effort to uh, to look into them. Basically, what we're doing is trying to make it possible for people to easily use these avenues in order to get closer to the Lord during this time of Lent. Yes, to motivate and facilitate people, uh, you know, it's never been easier for people to find information or find uh, sources of inspiration. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things on the web and the communications that are very bad, but there's also a tremendous amount of good. I mean, the, the, the radio is certainly uh, remains a, a very privileged way to reach a lot of people uh, as we are through this program. But all the other things I mentioned are also very important, too. 
so that's what I hope that uh, people will do and I encourage them to do during Lent. You know, while you're talking, I, I just thought of the fact that today, on March 12th, back in history, back in 1933, President Franklin D. Roosevelt made the first of his Sunday evening fireside chats to the American people whereby he spoke by radio from the White House, reported informally on the economic problems of the nation, on his uh, actions to deal with them. And, and I'm wondering, maybe that might be a good idea, perhaps not this Lent, but maybe next Lent, for you to take up and do something like that, kind of like a fireside chat during Lent with the people of the Archdiocese. I certainly am open to that possibility. Um, Maybe we could of work doing something, something like, like that. that yeah. You know, if if we can find a, a, a way to do it that we think would be helpful and effective uh, for for the people, I would be I'd be open to doing that. Certainly. Tomorrow is the National Day for the Holy See, the state of Vatican City, and the Holy See observed the anniversary of the election of the current Pope as a national holiday. Do you have any thoughts on this? I sure do. When I worked in the Holy See at the Vatican and the Secretariat of State, I loved having the whole holiday because that meant we got a day off. Uh, so for, so the entire Vatican is, is off tomorrow on March 13th. I believe so. Yeah. As I recalled, uh, we would get a day for that. Of course, uh, one of the things I loved when I was there is, you know, it was under Pope St. John Paul. His name day at the beginning of November, there was All Saints Day, All Souls Day, and his his patronal feast day was St. Charles Borromeo, you know, uh, Carol Wojtyla, mm-hmm. uh, his baptismal name was Charles. And so we'd get—and then if, if the third fell on a Sunday, we would get four days off in a row. So I really love that. That was, that was a win-win. Interesting. Tuesday, March 14th, March Madness, as the season of college basketball national tournament time is referred to, is in full effect this Tuesday— I know you grew up in Detroit. You served in Detroit and in Toledo before coming to Connecticut. So tell me, who do you root for? Michigan State, Ohio State University, or UConn? Well, I retain a, um, what's the Impartiality? Yes, impartiality and discreet silence about my (laughs) thoughts in these matters. Because everybody, of course, has their particular um, team uh, and their wherever they consider home. I guess I've been around the block a few times with all of these places as a priest and bishop, so I'm not going to make any declaration in that in that uh, way. Well, I hope you make a declaration on the fact that Wednesday of this coming week is called True Confessions Day. It's a day created to inspire people to let go of their secrets and have a day of honesty. Keeping a guilty secret can be stressful and put a strain on any relationship. It's no surprise that confession is such a big part of many religions. It allows one to cleanse their heart of their troubles, move on with a clear conscience. Why should Catholics, in particular, take advantage of the sacrament of reconciliation and go to confession during this Lent? Well, it's very simple, because we're all sinners, and we need God's forgiveness if we want to get to heaven. And uh, for those of us who are Catholic and who have received this teaching from uh, the, through the church from Christ about the institution of the sacrament of penance, uh, we want to avail ourselves of what our faith teaches us is is the grace that's being offered. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if you have a comment on Friday, March 17th, celebration of St. Patrick's Day. It's a day to honor the patron saint of Ireland who converted the Irish to Christianity Sadly, celebrations on St. Patrick's Day generally forget the religious aspect and focus around beer and corned beef. 
What impresses you most about St. Patrick, Archbishop? St. Patrick, of course, his remarkable life, you know, how he was kidnapped by tribes uh, from Ireland and was put into slavery there, how he escaped and how he came back as a missionary. And, uh, you know, he, the, the few things we have of his that he wrote are really quite powerful, beautiful. He, through his zeal, effected uh, a huge religious and ultimately cultural change of the uh, island of Ireland. All of the our countries have some pioneer missionary effort for which they owe their, their faith, their Christianity. And, uh, of course, today we have the duty to constantly renew that uh, faith, and uh, that's an uphill battle in a lot of cases today. But we look to the founders for their heavenly uh, patronage and help to make that happen. Inspiration. Since St. Patrick's Day this year falls on a Friday, have you suspended the Friday abstinence regulation for St. Patrick's Day so that we can well, eat corn beef? as you know, I wrote to the priests and told them that uh, if people really feel that they need to celebrate St. Patrick's Day by eating meat on a Friday, I said, well, fine, then, then, but then they should pick another day of the week privately to follow the penitential practice. Because as the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, uh, doing this is not some, meant to be some kind of punishment. It's meant for our own spiritual good. And there are so few fast days and days of abstinence anymore uh, in the life of the church. So I just say, okay, if St. Patrick's Day is on Friday and you want to celebrate, you're going to eat meat, then at your own choice, pick another day of the week and, and practice it. That certainly makes sense. Archbishop, let's take a look now at our gospel reading on this third Sunday of Lent. Today's gospel is taken from John, the fourth chapter. After the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you asking for your thoughts. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him 
must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. I who speak to you am he. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Archbishop, what are your thoughts as you hear this gospel account by John? Well, I think one of the most fundamental things is how Jesus says he came to save what was lost. He came to call sinners and save what was lost. And this woman's life is pretty mixed up. Um, And uh, Jesus does not condemn her, but he invites her. I mean, this is all calculated. It's not like Jesus uh, just happened uh, to be in these circumstances. Clearly, he was searching out people like her. And John records for us very beautifully this encounter uh, that talks about a lot of things. It affects uh, a conversion through his compassion, but at the same time through his challenge. You know, that's the thing that we have to realize, that welcoming sinners uh, and doesn't mean that you, you say, oh, well, just keep doing what you're doing. No, it, it is an invitation in kindness and charity to, for a person to repent and believe. This is what's happening uh, to, to this woman and even to the people then in her town that, in Samaria that she uh, winds up bringing with her. And this becomes a model for how we have to be in, in, in the world today. We, we have to seek and save uh, by our word and example those who have fallen away or who need Christ or who are living a life that is not in keeping with faith or, or the commandments or, or uh, uh, a life of virtue. And we each have to find a way. Sometimes it's through our own example or our silent prayer. But when appropriate in some ways, when we develop a rapport with a person, then we can even address certain issues with them carefully, uh, perhaps, and politely, and to draw them out of a, a bad situation into a good one. All of us have to try to do that. I like what you said about compassion and challenge as the avenue by which we confront wrong and also challenge people to be better. Yes, and I think this is one of the things that Pope Francis is trying to emphasize and is often uh, misrepresented uh, or misinterpreted. Uh, you know, he, he makes the point that he, I mean, his own motto and his coat of arms is, is uh, you know, the call of Matthew, the, the tax collector, the sinner. In other words, we have to uh, uh, go out to the peripheries, as the Pope says, to the margins, where people's lives are not in conformity with the gospel or with what is good and true. But uh, And we have to do it with compassion. Uh, and But that doesn't mean we just ignore or bless uh, what they're doing. Uh, it means we're inviting them to a change of heart, to conversion. You know, it's, it's about leading people to repentance, not by shaking a finger at them, but by, uh, by our own good example and prayer and interest in them as persons uh, to invite them to repentance, to change of heart, to change their ways. Even I- as we strive every day because we have to keep striving to do that ourselves. We're not there either, but we try. The Samaritan woman says to Jesus, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? 
Does this gospel teach us anything about racism, Archbishop? Because Samaria was a small country between the Jewish provinces of Judea and Galilee, and the shortest distance between the two was to go through Samaria. However, for most Jews, their racial resentment was so deep that they did not even want to come in contact with the land where Samaritans lived, and Jesus would have no part of their racial fences. Oh, this is absolutely true, and I hate to tell you, but of course you've been to the Holy Land many times. Samaria is still there. And I remember when we were driving down from the north, uh, down to Jerusalem, the guide told us that back behind those mountains is Samaria, and there are not many Samaritans left uh, living there, but it is still a a place of some separation and uh, some animosity, as I uh, recall, Mm. uh, between Jews and Samaritans. So, you know, uh, after all these centuries and all the, the things that have happened, Yes, Jesus did go, and, and of course, I think I maybe spoke about this uh, in past programs, so our Holy Land trip, yeah. that you realize that ancient Israel was a patchwork of peoples. It was not all, there were Jewish towns, Jewish communities, but there were also Gentile towns and communities, the Samaritans, others. And uh, Jesus, uh, again, to use a phrase of Pope Francis, often went to the peripheries. In fact, he, he only really... Uh, went to Judea and Jerusalem toward the end of his ministry, that most of his ministry uh, was uh, in this kind of patchwork culture of the Holy Land. It's interesting that uh, Jesus would have no part of any racial fences. As a matter of fact, he's the one that breaks down these racial barriers between people. So we need to apply that into our lives, everyday lives, here and now, don't we? Understandably, in those times, there's a certain gradualness to it. You know, Jesus does talk about coming first for the children of Israel. But then he, in his encounters, which are very deliberate with others, because the Jews were scandalized that he would do these things for people who are not Jewish or mingle with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it wasn't just sinners, but, but even but non-Jews. And uh, Jesus, through the gospel, you see how he is leading people to appreciate that this is not the will of God, but that all people, he's come for, all, for the redemption of the whole world. Let's look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Marie from Burlington says, I grew up with a mom who always told me to offer it up whenever anything went wrong. Now that I am an adult, I wonder if maybe I need a more grown-up understanding of offering up sacrifices. What exactly does that phrase mean, and how can I put it into practice? Well, Marie, there's certainly validity to your question. (laughs) Remember what Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes a a little kid giving up candy for Lent has something to teach us oldsters who rationalize everything and really don't give anything up for Lent. Yes, offering it up means that we forego those things that uh, for our own benefit or pleasure or self-indulgence or willfulness, that we forego them. Uh, to discipline ourselves, and f- more than that, uh, we might give it up for a, a, a positive purpose. So, for example, I might uh, not do something that I enjoy doing, and I might use the money that I would have used for that and give it for charity. There is something very uh, simple but basic and profound about saying no to er- what I what I want, when I want, and how I want it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in that sense, giving something up is still, whether it's for a child or for an adult, although obviously the, how we do that will, will be different from childhood, uh, there's the, that's the value. It's, it's being able to say no to yourself and your own power, pleasure, uh, indulgence, will, even your own willfulness 
uh, and I say yours, I mean mine as well. That is a, a life of virtue. Andrew from Torrington says, I generally read the obituary column in my daily newspaper. Lately, I've noticed that in obituaries, which are clearly for Catholic families, there is a decrease in the number of funeral masses that are included as part of the announcement. There might be a mention of a wake service at the funeral home or at the graveside, but no mass. Has the church encouraged this change? Well, no, Andrew. Certainly a vast change has overcome funeral rites uh, inasmuch as so many uh, Catholics, uh, nominal Catholics in our uh, culture, in our society, in our state, are not practicing anymore. And so fortunately, I suppose you could say, the, the elderly who are dying uh, want and expect to have a funeral mass. And I, I, most of the time, I think the family would defer to their, to their wishes. But strictly speaking, uh, you don't necessarily have to have a funeral mass. Uh, in different cultures, it can be done differently. Some pl- places, uh, the mass is not the day of the burial, but there is a mass for the repose of the soul of the deceased person, you know, at some other time. Yeah. Um, and that is, that's legitimate, uh, but uh, certainly in our practice in our country, having a funeral mass is is the, the best thing to do. I've talked to our priests about this, and we the priests themselves, we try to catechize people about it. But it's all part and parcel of uh, a change in the culture. And, of course, one of the things COVID really made a big difference, too. There were a lot of cases where there was could be no funeral mass for a couple of years, for the most part, uh, because of COVID. So that's taking uh, its toll as well. George from North Haven says, why do we pray for the living? When I think about praying for myself, it seems selfish. Even praying for others, such as for better health for someone who is sick, seems like a lack of faith. Shouldn't I just pray for God's will and give prayers of thanksgiving for good things that happen? What if people don't have anyone to pray for them? I actually do believe in the power of prayer. I'm just not sure how or even if I should direct it. Well, George, uh, to you too, I would uh, recommend that you take uh, a look at the section on prayer in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a very fine presentation summary of the whole Church's whole belief from Scripture and tradition about prayer and the meaning of prayer. And of course, the Our Father becomes a great model of prayer for us, and it does include petitions. Uh, And it is praying not just for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. It's praying for everyone. And I think you'll find in Scripture and in the whole tradition of the Church, uh, you know, it's clear that the prayer of petition, the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of adoration are all have their place. Uh, so I guess you're asking a, a question that merits some uh, lengthier uh, presentation, and you can't find a better place than uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church for, on this, the section on prayer. And let's see if we can squeeze in one last question, Archbishop. Ed from Bristol says, At the annual interfaith breakfast in Manhattan last week, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said, When we took prayers out of schools, guns came into schools. The mayor, who identifies as Christian, also said, Don't tell me about separation of church and state. State is the body. Church is the heart. You take the heart out of the body, the body dies. What do you think about his statements? Well, I think that the mayor is going to get in a lot of trouble in our super secularized culture for saying such a thing. Uh, but yes, fundamentally, I do uh, agree with him, but with some important distinctions. 
because if we live in a multicultural uh, and multi-religious country, as we do, we have to be very uh, careful not to impose uh, one thing or a uh, form of prayer or another on uh, children or anyone else. And the problem becomes, of course, that in our country today, there are a lot of people who have no f religious uh, faith and they feel it's an imposition on them to uh, to be asked to pray. So this is, this is a, a big problem for uh, our, our cultural life uh, in, in the United States. And, and I would just say that this is a good reason why our Catholic schools should be given the assistance they need uh, to provide, uh, continue providing the wonderful education they give to our young people in every respect, including religious uh, uh, preparation and formation, uh, that our Catholic school parents and schools could receive some fair portion of, of aid from the state for the things that they do. I certainly agree with the mayor that when you take re, uh, any religious faith and, and prayer out of a public education, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're taking a very important force for good, and uh, the results can be very uh, catastrophic. And it's not just about prayer. It's about any kind of religious faith. In fact, I mean, even today we've come to the point of even the definition of the human person created male and female in the image and likeness of God. That's even being taken away from public life and education in many cases. And that's a very frightening prospect. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, as we continue the, the journey, the pilgrimage of Lent, we know that this year you've given us another year in our life to repent and believe, uh, to purify our hearts through penance and charity and prayer. And we ask you to bless our efforts, to give us the resolve to continue so that we may celebrate joyfully the great uh, solemnity of Easter. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. Till then, enjoy this week. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.